Hello, 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 hello. You're probably wondering why I just said hello nine times. I did that because it is episode nine and it just kind of felt right. Hi everyone and welcome to Ain't Broke Don't Fix With The Podcast, episode nine with me, MEP. The podcast explores all things mental health and neurodiversity. I shouldn't have favourite episodes, but I kind of do. Sometimes you walk away from a recording or or a, a conversation and you think, you know what, that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I think it's going to be well received. And this genuinely was one of those episodes. We recorded it over Zoom. So like the quality isn't fantastic, but it doesn't negatively impact what is, I think, a wonderful episode. And I think you're going to like it. We talk all things, all things dyslexia. I know, and now our guest is Jenny Folds. Have I not said that bit? Okay, our guest is Jenny Folds. I met Jen through spoken word, and while she's an incredible poet, this this isn't just a poetry episode. This is about her experiences with dyslexia and how it's not all doom and gloom. We both share that opinion that actually having neurodiversity can be a positive thing. ADHD has been a real gift to me in many ways and and she believes that her dyslexia has done the same for her. So, yeah, I really, really think you're going to like this one. Please stick with it through the sound quality if you can. It's bloody brilliant. And it ends on a lovely poem by Jen as well. Uh, I think that's everything. Oh, yeah, no, that is everything. Jenny's Scottish. I don't think that's relevant because you'll just hear her voice and you'll know. So I don't actually know why I said that. Anyway, let's kick off. Episode 9 of Ain't Broke, Don't Fix Me, the podcast. My life with dyslexia, chatting to the amazing Jenny Fold. According to the International Dyslexia Association, ADHD and dyslexia can both cause people to be disfluent readers. They leave out parts of what they're reading, they get tired, frustrated and distracted. They may even act out or refuse to read. They can be very messy and disorganised and all of this means that they can fail to live up to their professional and academic potential. This often leads to anxiety, depression and low self-esteem. Dyslexia and ADHD can coexist. <laughs> Do you know what? Hi, everybody. I'm literally starting the episode right now. Uh, <laughs> what this would have been brought to you from our cars, uh, which we thought actually was quite a, quite a quirky idea. No, uh, it just doesn't work, essentially. <laughs> what happened was my car got really hot and then, yeah, mine got really hot. <laughs> and then, because of that, my laptop then got really hot. Right. And it just it just didn't work anymore. So, 
Well, I was like a dog in the car with the, the window <laughs> half down. Um, and then a, a businessman walked past talking business. And I was kind of like, this isn't, this isn't going to work, is it? <laughs> well, I'm finally getting to uh, talk to you, which is the main thing, because we've kind of been meaning to speak for a while and now it's finally happening, even if it is on Zoom. How has, uh, how has lockdown life been for you? Oh, what a question. Um, yeah. I'm not going to lie, it was pretty hideous at mm. times. Um, yeah, I, it really amplified a lot for me, actually. Uh, I kind of, I kind of, I went, I went through a bit of a, a breakup in the um it, during lockdown and then i was on my own for about six weeks wow um and i'm an extrovert i need people around me yeah um so uh yeah it kind of amplified quite a lot for me um made me realize how much i need my friends and my family and things mm-hmm. um and also uh i was trying to through lockdown i was um i do uh my night rebel soapbox so i was doing online gigs yeah um uh, throughout which was great but also there was a lot of um i was kind of uh, i think i was masking quite a lot by throwing myself into that right got a bit of fatigue through it but you know, it's been it's been a it's been a learning curve, I think. Definitely, and I think I've you know I did the Rebel Soapbox online one when we first went into lockdown, and I did a few of the other online gigs as well. And they're, you know, they serve a purpose for what they are because we're certainly all missing out on you know seeing and talking to other people and and having that experience of feeling like we're doing live shows, but. After a while, I was getting to the point of, ah, I've done like about seven or eight of these now. And actually, I'm not really enjoying it, but I felt like I was obligated to take part. And I felt like I was under pressure to really kind of get out loads of material and and write and be busy because actually what else was there to do? Yeah, totally. Do you know, um, it was exactly that. I think as well, because I was doing, uh, I, I was doing them every couple of weeks um at one point which is a lot but but i was trying to do my own new material every time as well Mm. and then i realized i'd run out of material and i was a bit like oh god (laughs) um um, i did write a lot actually i wrote quite a lot during lockdown i did national poetry writing month which is um 30 poems in 30 days right um so every day you write something new and my thing was that i um that I would, uh, I wouldn't be allowed to get out of bed until I wrote something and posted okay, it on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> so it was literally, I didn't think, I didn't know what I was writing about the night before. I just, I would wake up, I'd write something, I'd put it in a tile, I'd post it. And that was my accountability almost to get amazing. it done. Um, it was amazing, actually. I really, I really enjoyed this year. Um, it kind of took my mind off things a little bit. But it also allowed me to kind of churn out a bit of material, which was nice. But it, it also the pressure of, hey, I'm not doing much during lockdown, mm. so why am I writing more? But when you've got all your external influences taken away from you, it's actually really hard to kind of stay motiva- uh, motivated to create. Yeah, and I was been like uh, saying I've felt like sort of a real lack of purpose. And I think even if you've 
not someone who sort of suffers with any kind of mental health issues. Everyone's kind of been thrust into that, into that world. And I've been desperate to have a conversation with you anyway, because whilst like the podcast is about celebrating different elements of neurodiversity and mental health, uh, mm dyslexia is something I haven't got too much knowledge about and I think it's important that we kind of chat about this stuff because you know I have to have guests because you know it started off when I was doing a few episodes by myself and that's all very well and good but there's some things I just don't feel equipped to talk about and it's good to have sort of everyday people just sharing their experiences so I'm kind of interested to know like what was your school experience like we did a whole episode on neurodiversity in education we touched upon dyslexia but i'd be really interested to hear from you what the education system was like for you did you like school uh did i like school um i went to private school i went to i went to i went to state school uh for primary school mm. we've got a different system in scotland okay. uh, I'm, from i'm from edinburgh so you do primary one to primary seven in uh primary school and then you go to first year to sixth year is your like senior school um yeah i was distracted at school i was very i was hyperactive yeah. i was a bit i was just i was kind of distracting for people i think um i was a i was a bit of a show-off yeah <laughs> you've never guessed yeah. that um and um i was a bit of a loud mouth i always wanted to be the funny one um but actually when you look back i was actually covering for i i felt quite um inadequate i think a lot of the time because i yeah. couldn't um couldn't keep up with people with classes um my reading and writing um numbers weren't great um my mum kind of, my mum clocked it when I was about maybe nine or ten right. and <clears throat> kind of said something to the school and they but they, the way they, they tested me was spell cat spell dog spell this and I was kind of looking at them going I'm not stupid like I wow. know how to wow. you know it was it was really it was quite a bit insulting actually yeah. um and so I wasn't properly diagnosed until I was 14. So by then I was into my kind of standard grades, which are like GCSEs, starting to do my standard grades um, and kind of getting extra time and things like that and doing extra classes with reading and writing. But, but the interesting thing was when I was actually tested officially, um, you know, I was, so I was 14, my reading and writing age would be nine or 10. Uh, I've got a real issue with numerical sequences even now I'm kind of like, ugh, if somebody gives me a phone number and if they don't say it in a certain way, it really fucks with my head. Gotcha, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm always like, you know, like, like first five numbers, great. Then six numbers, cool, right? <laughs> but if someone like breaks it up differently, I'm like, ah, don't know what you're talking about. But, um, but also, um, so, yeah, so when they tested me, uh, these things were kind of younger than I was, whereas my intelligence was higher because you're using a different part of your brain, right? So, yes. you, you know, yes. rather than to go to A to B, which is everyone else has got, you've got to go to from A rounds and then like, kind of, like a kind of a roundabout way to get to B. So you've got to take a detour. So you use different parts of your brain. Um, I think you use kind of, uh, you're kind of more intuitive. Um, so kind of a lot more common sense, I suppose. Yeah, well, like yeah, it's yeah, well, interesting like because 
with you saying that stuff because I all when I had my um my final consultation when I was diagnosed with ADHD much like what you've just said about you know using different parts of your brain and something that's really stuck with me and uh, because there's a lot of links between sort of ADHD and dyslexia and I think this is the same for both conditions and he explained it to me like imagine it's like always knowing what you have to do but never being able to do it and and every that really really resonated with me because it's you know with it forgetting things you know even this morning when I left for work uh my other half said I'll make sure you drive around the other way because there's loads of traffic going a certain way and as I left the door I had that very you know, of course, of course, I'm going to go around the back way. I even got in my car and was like, okay, well, I'm going to drive around the back way. But no sooner as I started driving, it only took one other thing to guide my mind elsewhere. And I was driving through the traffic. And then it wasn't till I was there that I was like, that's exactly it. I knew I had to drive there, but I just didn't. Like, why didn't I? And I think that there's so many links with that. Like, it doesn't get a lot of positive attention sort of because of these things like things like ADHD and dyslexia like so much so many negative portrayals of the condition and such a stigma attached like did that affect you emotionally like did you have a lot of shame attached to it yeah absolutely I mean it's um I'm actually currently I'm currently doing therapy for the first time in my life and I'm kind of six sessions in yeah and um one of the things that we talk about is not feeling good enough and not uh, kind of having low self-esteem, whereas actually, which is, I'm a bit of a juxtaposition because I've been, I was a performer for 15 years. Um, and I kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, like I said before, I'm a bit of a show off or I'm a loud mouth or whatever it is, but actually these things are the things I, these coping mechanisms almost that I put in place to kind of counteract the other feelings that I have. Um, but when I was at school, <clears throat> there was a real feeling of, feeling stupid. I felt stupid. I felt stupid. I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel like I, uh, fitted in. Well, not that I fitted in because I, I made sure I fitted in with lots of different people, but I covered up my anxiety about my, um, about my dyslexia by becoming the class clown. Right. So what I would do is I'd be like, guys, look at me. I'm stupid. I can't even read. And I'd make yeah. people laugh yeah. about it because then if I, if I could make them laugh about it and I could laugh about it, then they couldn't laugh about me behind my back. Yeah. But actually yeah. my dyslexia, my dyslexia made me a performer. It made me a performer because I would sit in English class and you know, in English class, they would the teacher would make you read pa- everyone a paragraph, and you would kind of work your way around the class. And I would, I would work out what what paragraph I'd be reading, and I'd sit and have a panic attack, and I'd be like nine years old, and I'd be like literally thinking that I was going to die with embarrassment or um, or shame. But what I would do is I would I would quickly skip I would I would skim it and I would paraphrase it. I would rather than read it, I would paraphrase it or I would act it out or I would, you know, it, would, it, made, me, it made me a performer more than anything. And actually, the, the interesting thing is, um, I'm, I'm 40 now, so like I was diagnosed, you know, a long time ago, it's like 26 years ago or whatever. And in that time, I love being dyslexic now. 
I love being yeah. dyslexic. It's like a, it's a like a, it's like a fucking superpower. Mm. Um, I, I love it because it, 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 it really kind of, it hones in because there's a certain creativity that comes with it, and also kind of big thinking as well. Because we're not about the nuts and bolts and attention to detail. It's more about the kind of imagine, picture the scene, you know, look yeah. at this big idea. Also, what what comes with dyslexia is um, a sense of um, empathy and uh, and strategy as well so so actually dyslexic people are really great at certain jobs <laughs> so um you know richard branson's dyslexic <clears throat> there was a point where he he was he was hiring specifically hiring dyslexic people for specific jobs in his company um and he, he also started a he started a um a charity called um made by dyslexia where he kind of, where he was funding uh, more research into dyslexia and what that looked like, but also looking at the perception of dyslexia, the negative perception of dyslexia, um, because it, because it is, it's, it's such a, it, it's seen as a negative thing. When actually, um, so he he did a he did a brilliant thing, or made by dyslexia did this brilliant thing, where they had a um, they did a, a pop up and it was called the dyslexic sperm bank. Right. <laughs> and there were people flying down this busy street in London. Who wants a dyslexic baby? They were shouting in the, in the middle of the street. Right? Um, and they were flying. They're like, come into this dyslexic sperm bank. You'll get some dyslexic sperm. You know, all this stuff. People were people were affronted by it. People were disgusted by it. People were going, oh, my God, why would you wish that on anyone? Um, and then people would go into this pop-up and be... And there's, po there's pictures of all these people, these amazing people who are dyslexic, Einstein, Steve Jobs, you know, like, like all these amazing brains. Um, and, but the people in the pop-up were there to, uh, to educate people on what dyslexia actually is and the benefits of dyslexia. And there was some statistic where it said, um, it said uh, like 95, something, no, it, was, it, was like, it was like only 5% of people who were canvassed in this question, only 5% of people who don't have dyslexia see it as a benefit, 95% saw it as a hindrance. 80% um, of people who have dyslexia who were canvassed, 80% see it as a benefit and not a hindrance. Yeah. So there's a lack of education. You know, massive sorry, lack of, just, no, yeah. no, thank you. Like a massive lack of education. And I think that as well, like, when you think about many neurodiversities, whether that be dyslexia, ADHD, autism, I'm yet to meet a dyslexic person or an autistic person or someone with ADHD who isn't in some way like fantastic to me. Do you know what I mean? You, yeah. rarely, you rarely meet a person like that. And like of all the people I've met, some incredible just inspiring people and the and the, the way all of them creative as well so there's like yeah. a massive strong link there and i was thinking about it before and and there's so many of either people i've met whether that be relationships or jobs that i've got or opportunities that have come my way and i don't think many of those things would have happened to me whether they worked out well or ended up you know being catastrophic all of those things happened in the first place because ADHD has given me this like confidence to yeah. just try 
anything, to just do anything. And even though on the inside, I'm really nervous and absolutely shitting it, nobody would know that about me because impulses made me go, oh shit, I'll just do it anyway. And I think, you know, with most of my job opportunities and things like that, they were literally based on, not because I had incredible grades or because of, you know, scores or, or test results or anything like that they were purely based down on a really good interview uh, or you know a really good yeah. meet, meeting me and I was able to sort of just kind of like you said perform my way through it you know using that part of me to 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 the best in, in its best capacity and yeah, the reason I kind of speak so openly about ADHD and I'm passionate about it is because there's such little praise towards the condition in the media as well. Same with dyslexia. Because, and it's a shame because there's so many sort of incredible entrepreneurs, musicians, athletes, innovators who could be incredible role models. But instead, we sort of, we just hear about the prison statistics and, and the patterns with addiction and academic failure and things like that like surely we need to you know kind of change the narrative when it comes to that how do you kind of think we go about that does it does it purely lie with just chatting about it more yeah i think that there has to be more of a platform to talk about it and normalize it yeah it's so like we're the other why are we the other like you know it's just <clears throat> I mean, like not only like not only do you have ADHD and I've got dyslexia, but we're also gay, right? So there's yeah. like it's like you 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 used to be in the other, right? So you you kind of like why are we always the other? Hi guys, it's me, a bit cheeky. I know I'm interrupting my own podcast episode, but a reminder: if you like spoken word, if you like podcasts, if you like this podcast in particular, if you like talking all things neurodiversity and mental health, if you want to be part of ending the stigma, if you want to just be a little bit nosy and keep up to date with things, or you want to suggest a guest, you can do all of those things by following me at MEP Mate on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at MEP Mate E M Y P M A T E. Right, let's talk some more to Jen, shall we? two and a half only two and a half years ago yeah it's interesting it's interesting isn't it because i think a lot of people who have like very little knowledge about dyslexia would assume that you would be awful at poetry but yeah. actually actually poetry is like a different ball game isn't it because it's, it's a creative outlet but it doesn't have to especially performance poetry it doesn't have to be structured or perfect and it can kind of be messy and organic and you can put your own stamp on it so in that way it's like poetry sort of being therapeutic for you well yeah i mean it's um <clears throat> I mean, anyone who reads anything I've written, I mean, it is constantly full of mistakes and uh, spelling or grammatical. But like you say, the way I see poetry or even in the spoken word, it's like it's like an it's like an inner monologue of something that's happened. It's like yeah. a snapshot, a snapshot of an emotion or or a situation, a feeling, um, uh, and it's. Yeah, I find I do find it therapeutic. What's been interesting is revisiting memories that I've had and writing about them. I think uh, I've I've sent you a poem for the end of this. Yeah, it's my coming out. It's part of my coming out story uh, called Nineteen Ninety Six, and um, what um, I wrote that for Pride Month. Um, 
I am part of a collective called Rhymes with Orange and um, when, we were, when we weren't in the weird times we would write 10 minutes of new material every month yeah. um, and um, the theme for the night uh, one night was the 90s so I did like 1993, 1996 and 1999 um, 1993 was all the brilliant shit music and, and movies of 1993 which by the way there are a lot um, <laughs> and 1996 was my coming out story 1999 was when I discovered drugs <laughs> <laughs> like the arc, it was like the arc, the arc of the story, the innocence of movies and film, uh, movies and music, uh, going through into kind of this sexual awakening, going through yeah. into this uh, recreational awakening, as it were. Um, and um, but but revisiting those things, um, it really it, it actually helps me reframe them in my head. Right, that's, and that's what I'm learning with. Um, like I said, I was in therapy. Um, I've never done therapy before and I'm learning about it's not about solving your problem it's about reframing it in your head yes um, which has been such a, a light bulb moment for me so actually yes in answer to your question all the stuff that I, I write helps me reframe situations and feelings yeah and I think that I reckon there's probably loads of dyslexic poets come to think of it now like you just would never think there would be like on face value even I'm guilty of you know being really uneducated on this but you know I'm sure that poetry is probably a really good because poetry was always good for me as well even though I wasn't like I'm awful at reading I just can't I haven't got the concentration to sit and read a book but if I have a blank book in front of me I can fill that whole pad with stuff you know and yeah yeah, yeah, um, yes, that's crazy. So let's let's talking about all things poetry now. Have you been? Because um, I know that you do actively gig, write, putting on shows and stuff. When did it become more than just a hobby? You know, like more than just you know writing the odd thing down here and there. And um, because, like you said, you released a book, and I've seen you, you know, a few shows and stuff. When did you make that crossover into okay? Um, writing things down but now i'm going to go out and perform it um so i did a um have you ever been to a burns night i haven't but i love your poem so, about burns night yeah so so burns night is like a it's like a a tradition in scotland where we celebrate robert burns who was a who's a poet a scottish poet he was like the a pioneer in the romantic era um and he was really forward thinking in his, uh, for, for the time. So it's, I think he's, he would have been 250. Uh, we celebrate his birthday every year and we just get fucking shit-faced basically. Yeah. A big bunch of Scottish folk dancing around, getting shit-faced. Um, but the tradition goes that there's loads of Burns poetry. Um, one, of, uh, one of the traditions is um, the address to the lassies, which is a guy addresses the women and then an address to the laddies and then the, a woman addresses the men. But it's so dusty and archaic. It's like it's quite. It's very heterosexual as well. So it's like it's like usually like oh, war men like leaving the toilet seat up, and you're just like oh my god. Um, so um, my friend asked me to do it, and I kind of pushed back and pushed back because I hadn't performed in years, and I was like oh god, I haven't really written before. And then I did it, and it was a light bulb moment. <clears throat> it was like yeah, it was it was incredible. Um, for me, for for me uh, as a performer, to be like, oh God, there you are, 
where have you been for like yeah. I hadn't performed in 10 years so it was like it was like a real like oh this is my like it feels like it was felt so comfortable doing it um so yeah I started doing that and then I sent um I sent my that video of that to Rounds of Orange and ended up winning um <clears throat> winning one of uh, winning the open mic which then I got 10 minutes of I got a 10 minute slot then uh, with them a few months later and then went to a writing retreat with them and they asked me to they asked me to join the collective and and then I started writing 10 minutes of new material every month and that was when it shifted because I was like oh right do you know what now I'm in this cycle of 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 creativity where um I don't feel stuck yeah and and also I don't feel precious uh, and this was the, the game changer was that I don't feel precious about it being perfect because f- before I had just spent like painstakingly uh, writing something and making sure that it was perfect so actually I didn't get anything out for months whereas if you were doing it every month you just have to write it and get up and if it doesn't work then you've got to tweak it or you bin it and it's fine um but actually it gives you a much better it, it gave me a, a much better um uh, a, a much better way to um, to communicate what I wanted to say. It didn't have to be perfect, and um, I could kind of churn out a bit more. And then I, when I started doing other nights, like I saw, I met you first. Uh, uh, that's what she said. Yeah, I've done that a few times, and I've done other nights in London a few times. When I've started, I, I then started to do, I was performing every week, basically, just doing different nights. Um, and I just basically, it's, a, it's quite addictive, really, when you're gigging. Um, Definitely. Yeah, gigging and writing. And now I've kind of shifted again. Well, I started Rebel Soapbox and that, so I've started hosting, which was great. I need to start that up again once we're out of the weird times. Um, but I've just started writing a, um, I've, well, I've put together a collection of poems. So I'm going to try and get something published. So it's th- at that point when I started putting together my collection I was like right this is it I'm changing gear I want to try and make something more tangible out of it yeah amazing there's a like a really thriving beautiful spoken word scene around most cities in like the UK and it's it's mad because when I try to to describe it to people who maybe aren't into spoken word I, like I'm not a religious person at all but that feeling of sort of being in that room and that sense of community and friendship and all these wonderful people from all different walks of life getting up behind a mic and and sharing poems and stories there's a real sense of of love and togetherness and i've said before that in a way it's almost like my version of a church do you know what i mean yeah totally yeah it's that it's that feeling of what I love about it is that it doesn't matter if it's your first time or your hundredth time of getting up. Everyone's just as supportive, and some sometimes you see these people who have never done it before and they blow you away. Yeah, like you're like, what? You've never done it before. Yeah, and and do you know what? Like Jen, I, I think going back to what we were saying earlier about that feeling of you know not feeling good enough and I'm sure you're probably because you're like me in that sense your worst critic in many ways and and doubt yourself a lot and when you go to and and I'm with those people and I'm at these places and I get a positive crowd reaction and you know when something's gone down well it just clicks doesn't it and 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 I actually think that is really 
good for me, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because it's, I suppose it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's deep-seated in us, but there's a bit of validation there, especially if you come in from a place where you've had low self-esteem or you feel like you're not good enough. If you can stand up and you feel like, and you, and you land something and you yeah. get a good reaction from it, it does feel good. And also as well, because everybody on the scene, like everybody has, even if there's poets from, I don't know, you know, Bristol or Manchester, the through some through either like Instagram or maybe um, podcasts or, or uh, different shows where people have traveled, I kind of know of people that I haven't yet met and things like that. And it almost feels like everybody's got each other's backs. Like there's no, there's no bad mouth in every, anyone from the scene. And, and then I really miss that sense of community. Uh, and yeah, I do think it's such a positive thing and really does boost people's mental health. Like I said to, I said to Fisky once who runs Mind Over Matter, like I said to him, because, you know, he built Mind Over Matter, the, the spoken word night off the back of, you know, him feeling like he had nothing so he created something to give himself uh, some some kind of purpose yeah and i said to him there's no under like please don't underestimate the fact that you are quite literally saving some people because when i went to mind over matter and performed for the first time because that's where i performed my first ever poem nobody there knew me and i was a very very broken upset person who but who was going alone with words that meant a lot to me and from that moment I suddenly felt just a bit better about myself you know yeah totally I think that's so special I think it's so special it, 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 I mean mind over matter I, I did it uh, online I've never actually been to the night um, oh you should it's such a good night yeah but but I love I, I love that there is a space where you can people can talk about deeply personal things but in a room full of people who understand yeah definitely you know i mean and, and and actually that that's 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 why I, I i love the spoken word scene as well because actually on one hand you can have those deeply personal moments where you can be watching someone and someone will make you cry and they'll be crying on stage, but they'll be sharing this deeply personal story or, 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 you know, moment. Um, but on this, in the same, like on a, a beat later, you've got someone who's really funny, right? So you can kind yeah. of, you can almost, I, I love um, it, when I started Rebel Soapbox, that was one of the things I really enjoy is curating those, that, that um, the flow of the night where you go, right, that person, I think it's going to be like that. I think that person is going to be like that. Yeah. So you can kind yeah. of, you kind of, you take the audience on a journey with you. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to, we're going to wrap things up now really, but it's, it's so like kind of beautiful being able to talk about dyslexia and talk about ADHD and mental health and, and, and explain how, what that was like for you growing up and now where you are now and how much you love what you're doing. And it sounds like you've got good people around you. What would you, you know, what would 40 year old Jen say to, you know, the 14 year old Jen, who was struggling and maybe masking a lot. What have you learned through being dyslexic and, and what have you gained from it? 
you know what? I actually wrote something for, um, I'm not going to say who it is because then, because yeah. you probably won't want me to say it, but I wrote something for someone who means a lot to me um, who's, who found out that he was dyslexic and think, thought he was stupid. Um, yeah. And it was heartbreaking to hear him say it and to watch him kind of beat himself up. And the thing I said to him was, like dyslexia is your dyslexia is your superpower. I know that sounds like a cliche. People have heard this before, but dyslexia is your superpower because it makes you different from other people. It makes you think differently from other people. You will be different from other people, but it's gonna make it's gonna it's gonna put you in good stead to to choose a different career, to not have the pressure of academia on your back. You know, to like to. Yeah, to to it, I don't know. You, you 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 feel it feels like you're kind of more open-minded, um, and you can and you and to take risks. It's it's it really is a superpower. It's um, and and the the safety net is bigger than you think it is. Yes, I think I think, I think when you're that age and you don't understand and you think you're stupid and you think that it's the worst thing ever. Like the older you get, you realise the safety net is bigger than you think it is. Mm. Definitely. Anyway, thank you so much, Jen, for... Uh, I'm glad we didn't do this in the car. I know, totally. It would be so hot. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Emmy. Yeah, it's good. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to... Um, once all of this is less weird, maybe we can uh, go for a beer and chat some more about this stuff without a, a mic in front of us, you know? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. All right. Thank you so much, mate. All right, pal. Take care. See you later. Bye. 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 I loved that chat. Yeah. Good fun. Good fun. And I learned a lot and I hope you did too. So that was episode nine of Ain't Broke, Don't Fix with the podcast. In a couple of weeks time will be the last episode of series one. We're going to take sort of a very healthy and necessary couple of I don't know how long it's going to be, probably a couple of months break just to gather some new guests and ideas and come back with series two and hopefully it will be bigger and better. Thank you so much to everybody who's listened so far. You know, this has been really therapeutic for me. The lockdown experience for me, I I felt a real lack of purpose and the thing I love to do is to talk about ADHD, to talk about mental health and discuss it and, and look at it through a different lens and and spread that positivity that it's not all doom and gloom. And I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to get in front of a crowd and perform, whether that be poetry, music, or just talk at different events, mental health events, nutrition events, ADHD events. I can't do it at the moment. And the only way that I could continue that message and you know give myself that sense of purpose and feel like I was part of it was to put a podcast together and I'm really glad I did thank you Jen for being on today's episode and we're going to end with a nostalgic beautiful poem by Jenny Folds this is called 1996 I fell in love for the first time when I was 16 and I'd never felt anything like it It was so hard to fight it and it was difficult to know who I was and why I felt the way I felt and if it meant that I was weird or if it meant that I was gay or if it meant that it was just her. I hoped that it was just her. Because I was 16 years old and it was 1996 and I thought I had a problem that I needed to fix. 
But I didn't have a problem. There was no problem. I couldn't have known that then. I just really fancied girls. But it was the 90s and we were in Scotland and the majority didn't like people like us. So there I am, sitting in a tiny gay bar, almost as tiny as I am, sitting with a peach snaps and lemonade, sticking out like a sore thumb, awkward as fuck, like a puppy trying to grow into its giant paws. And I just sit and I'm so fucking nervous, but I've been brave. I've made a move to be with people that might have a bit of an understanding, even if I don't understand myself. So there's these two older women, and when I say older, they're probably younger than I am now, and they're sitting looking over at me. They've got short cropped hair and kind faces. And they come over and they ask if they can sit with me, and I shyly say yes, and I'm awkward. I was so fucking awkward. They can see I'm so green, I'm so wet behind the ears, it's painful. But they make it easy for me and they keep the small talk going. And after a few hours of drinking peach snaps and laughing and talking about love and life and what had brought me sitting there on my own, they finally call time at the bar. And one of them asked me if I want to come home with them to carry on the night. Side note, when I think about this now, I know it sounds well dodgy. And I was 16 and it hadn't really crossed my mind that it might be weird. And it wasn't weird, it was anything but. So we get outside and they're unchaining their bikes. And one of them says to me, get on the back. So there I am in all my glory, 16 years old, 1am, drunk on peach snaps, getting a backy from a butch lesbian going full pelt down Leith Walk in Edinburgh, feeling understood for the first time in a long time, if not for the first time ever. So we get back to theirs and they ask if I smoke weed and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I smoke weed when actually I'd only ever smoked hash and even then I almost always whitey, but I wanted to seem cool to them. So we get stoned and then we talk some more and I tell them that I can't find the words to say to my dad and my mum and my brother and my friends. And I tell them that I'm so embarrassed for feeling the way that I feel. And I tell them that I'm so ashamed and I don't know where to start. And I tell them that I I just don't want to be gay. And they listen to me and they reassure me. And then they tell me their stories, their coming out stories. And I listen to them and we cry. And then I say to them, I need to go because it's 5 a.m. and it's light outside. So I go and get my stuff and I head for the door. And they both stop me and they hug me. And one of them says that she has something for me. And she comes back with a book. And she tells me that somebody had given it to her and it needed to be passed on. It's a book of coming out letters. And she puts her hand on my face and she kisses me on the cheek and she looks me in the eyes and she says to me, you're gonna be okay, you know. And I leave and I get a taxi home and I climb into bed feeling a little more seen and a little more understood.